It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Big hour coming your way. I got somebody who's going to break down the impeachment possibilities, Jonathan Turley. I also want to ask Jonathan Turley about this new thing in Florida. And in Florida, they're actually going to sue these big tech companies if they deplatform any political candidates. And maybe they'll get the business people and maybe you. I love it. We got to find a way to push back. They cannot decide who's good and who's bad for America, whose voice needs to be heard and who's not. And also fight back on the uh, um, the algorithms that have certain tweets just not getting the heat they should. Um, so we'll talk about that and so much more. We have an exciting day here as we try to dig out of the snow, like maybe you do if you're in the Northeast or anywhere in this region. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. They just make up the news. They make up the facts here, and then you're supposed to just fall in line. And if you don't, what's you know what does Twitter do? What does Facebook do? What is what does Google do with their YouTube platform? They they will they'll silence people who disagree with them. Uh, that is Mike Davis. He's a big tech expert. He's frustrated with misinformation. Are you? The New York Times has a solution. Have Joe Biden set up realities are so anyone who doesn't agree with his reality can get banned, sidelined, and canceled. And Florida is taking action, as I mentioned, against big tech. We'll discuss it. Number two. They didn't call one witness in the House. They impeached the President of the United States in less than 50 hours without a lawyer present. I think the Senate would be doing the country a great service by telling the House, you didn't call any witnesses in the House, you're not going to call any in the Senate. Senator Lindsey Graham, always saying it like it is. Impeachment part two. Case previews presented. Now Biden and company have no choice but to pause and watch. We'll look at how next week's historic trial of a former president plays out and why I believe this will not retire Donald Trump. It will revive Donald Trump. Number one. But in the end, I think that's it's a good project. Uh, I believe in climate change, uh, but I also think that this one pipeline isn't going to turn it around. But so in the end, yeah, I supported the Keystone Pipeline. And it was a huge mistake for Montana to cancel it. And John Tester, as a Democrat, you're even saying that. Green without envy. Climate czar John Kerry's clueless quest for a carbon-free world has steamrolled countless Americans. And now even some Democrats see the folly in crushing the XL pipeline. Pressure mounts to reverse the move. My fingers are crossed it will. I know it's not likely, but it's just so stupid. My hope is people will sober up. The crazy thing is the guy that made it possible, the special envoy for climate change, this detached six foot seven failed senator from Massachusetts, failed presidential candidate who did the unthinkable treasonous thing of walking around the world telling everybody that Donald Trump, don't worry about his policy, be patient, we'll get rid of him, we'll impeach him. Can you imagine if Mike Pompeo decided to do that, which he would never do? About this policy, Anthony Blinken or President Biden, he would never do it. So the XL Pipeline, 15,000 jobs. That ended the day Joe Biden signed that paperwork that said it should stop, it should cease, let alone the five to 7,000 on the border. But you know about that. But you did not know about pressure mounting and Republicans going to Houston, led by Kevin McCarthy and Dan Crenshaw, 
and going to Houston to point out that they're signing legislation to bring it back. And here is um, here's Dan Crenshaw talking about it uh, yesterday. Uh, cut seven. And the Democrats say, well, that's just the price to pay because we're saving the world. Right. You need. What else are you going to do? you got to sacrifice. You should sacrifice, America. Well, here's the thing. They're lying. This is not good for the environment. When you stop pipeline production, well, you just force the transport of oil and gas on trucks and rail, which emit more carbon. This hurts the low income the most because they're actually counting the pennies when their electric bills go up. And I wonder why Democrats, my colleagues, just don't care about this. Talk about compassion all the time. So if you're in a union, these are union jobs. If you're in another union, he's lying to you and he said, you know, he took your money. You got the union backing. This was American Steel that they had to purchase this pipeline from the American corporations. American Steel being made. Let alone the hotels and restaurants as they built it up across the country. So, so Republicans from both chambers in Congress are taking this long shot bid uh, to try to cancel uh, uncancel the permit and put that permit there to start building that pipeline and finishing up again. They got 86 House members, 15 senators uh, trying to push it back. What I think is most noteworthy then is uh, when Joe Manchin weighed in. He does not agree with this. Cut four. Well, at the bottom line, I disagree. Now, I respectfully disagree with the president and the executive order on doing away with the Keystone Pipeline. I've seen a train blow up in West Virginia carrying that crude. I've seen uh, tanker cars explode going through towns. Uh, it's much safer in that pipeline than it is coming across the road or the rail. If they think they're going to stop that product, that's a heavy crude we need in our refineries. The bottom line is, and I'm an all-in energy person, Brett, and we have to have energy basically and not depend on foreign energy. It's nuts. You know what they're doing on the Democratic side? Because Joe Manchin's pushing back on the $15 minimum wage because he's talking about not allowing uh, the elimination of the filibuster. They're trying to primary him. The three people that helped put AOC in place are trying to primary Senator Cinema and Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin's got like five and a half years left. What's he talking about? John Tester. I don't know how the hell he got reelected in a very red state like Montana. Listen to him. Cut five. But in the end, I think that's it's a good project. Uh, I believe in climate change, uh, but I also think that this one pipeline isn't going to turn it around, uh, isn't going to turn our climate around, and it's not going to make it in markedly worse situations. But so in the end, yeah, I supported the Keystone Pipeline. Yeah. Uh, and you should continue to support it because that's what the people put you there for. So the people pushing it are happy about it are so detached from reality. You know John Kerry, who takes his private jet everywhere, and if he's in a rush, hops in a limo to get onto his yacht. And I'm not exaggerating. A multimillionaire who does not know what it's like to work for a living. Here's what he said, uh, the special envoy to Fareed Sakaria, when it comes to jobs. Cut three. Canceling the Keystone Pipeline, the decision on no new fracking on new federal lands. Those governmental decisions are going to put people out of work. In fact, already are doing so. What do you say to those people? We're a great nation at creating jobs. There are going to be massive, literally millions of jobs created over these next years. uh, And there will be a transition in our economy. What about tomorrow, you idiot? What are you talking about? What are these jobs? These are, this is what they choose to do for a living. 
What if someone walked up to you and said, we have enough politicians. We're, we're going to get you something else eventually. I love that analogy. It's even better than I thought it was. The other one uh, we're talking about is uh, impeachment and what's going on there. I'm going to get into detail with Jonathan Turley, but essentially both sides made their case. In one, there were 80 pages, and the Democrats are going to sit there, and they're going to bring up some tape, and they're going to talk about the drama of the events. And some of the, the, some of the crowd noise that came out said, we're going to go uh, attack the, We're going to go attack the Capitol reportedly. So that's going to indict Donald Trump. The, the, the people with Donald Trump are going to push back and say he said to go over there peacefully and patriotically. That's a huge difference, wouldn't you think? But that's not going to be a situation. They've got to take out the strength, uh, the masculine language that he used, and they're going to use that. So what they're going to talk about is how he incited the crime and how he really is solely responsible for the invasion of the Capitol building. And they're going to go through all the video. And they're also going to talk about the phone call uh, to the Secretary of State in Georgia. So that's what this 80 pages filled up with. They plan to make with the Senate uh, open up Mr. Trump's trial, uh, continue that the former president whipped his supporters into a frenzy, spinning a vivid narrative of harrowing day with lawmakers were forced to flee as uh, the the Trump people came ripping in. They said that Trump was issuing a call to mobilize in his support to, quote, stop the steal. He used terms like fight like hell. If you have to watch your speech because somebody in that crowd, no matter how big or small it is, might misinterpret what you mean, we are all in trouble. So Trump came back with a 14-page defense. Meanwhile, his team was only put together 24 hours ago. Evidently, there were typos and misspellings in it. So essentially, they're going to say this is not constitutional. He's out of office already. He did not incite. He did not do the insurrection. That's not what he told his people to do. Never happy about that. The broad argument that Trump's remarks on January 6th and the weeks before were constitutionally protected, while they did not argue explicitly that Trump had won the 2020 election like he reportedly wanted him to, um, that's what he wanted his other legal team to do. He said the lawyers sought to shroud his false claims of widespread fraud in free speech arguments. Uh, They effectively argued that Trump believed he won in a landslide and therefore was within his First Amendment rights to express his beliefs. So in the end, if they don't call witnesses, Trump wins. If they call witnesses, this thing goes on for three weeks. Three weeks. Because you know if you start calling in people that were traumatized by this or broke into this and cops, then there's going to be big pushback to talk about other people and other strength in language. When Joe Biden says, I'll take you behind the shed and I like to fight him, I like to punch him out. And then we talk about all these other muscular language used by Democrats. It's a road that's only going to hurt the country. I think in the end, Trump gets exonerated. And I think in the end, he comes back more powerful. one 408 We'll talk about that and also talk about the big push to eliminate our ability to speak. And speaking of Reed, if you want to pick up my book, uh, Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers out now, or any of the others. A big pushback on the war in history. If they can get rid of the 1776 educational agenda, but they can't get rid of the books that talk about those years. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. 
While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. They just make up the news. They make up the facts here, and then you're supposed to just fall in line. And if you don't, what's you know, what does Twitter do? What does Facebook do? What does what does Google do with their YouTube platform? They they will they'll silence people who disagree with. Them. And they're not kidding. Uh, they're talking about a, I guess a realities are in uh, the New York Times that they're recommending the Biden team get. Because so many people are putting out fake news that's just not true. They're talking about Stop the Steal and everything like that. They're also talking about the stuff that's passed by um, uh, by different groups that they don't like. They seem to be all right-wing groups. And they uh, want to pass a rule. They're recommending that Joe Biden has a reality czar that decides what is true and what is not true. Is that okay with you? To me, it is, uh, it's going after free speech. They cite 30 percent of – this is what they use as an example. 30 percent of Republicans have a favorable view of QAnon. They say that's bad. According to a recent YouGov poll, 70 percent of Republicans believe Trump legitimately won the election. They think that's disinformation. Forty percent of Americans think Trump won the election, including plenty of Democrats, believe the baseless theory that COVID-19 was manufactured in a Chinese lab. That's a perfect example of why this will never work. It might have been. We don't know for sure. We got into lab for the first time yesterday, and you're going to decide this free speech czar, reality czar, and the New York Times put him put there, probably from the New York Times, but by the Biden administration. So I thought this was uh, pretty interesting. Uh, Joan Donovan, the research director of Harvard University's uh, Center on Media, suggested that the Biden administration could set up a truth commission similar to the 9-11 commission to investigate the planning and execution of the Capitol siege. Wouldn't that be nice? There must be accountability, she claims. Fine. The realities are, though, several experts um, who have spoken out have recommended that the Biden administration put this together, a cross-agency task force to tackle disinformation. However, has been brought up by other people, uh, Renee Doresta, a disinformation researcher at Stanford University's uh, Internet Observatory, says two seemingly unrelated problems— Misinformation about COVID-19 and misinformation about election fraud could actually, they said, be headed off. The task force would also meet regularly on tech platforms, but was brought up to other people. For example, Matt Welch of Reason Magazine. Looking forward to the realities are to deal with Joe Biden's claim to have arrested, been arrested for trying to see Nelson Mandela. The nation correspondent tweeted that out because we know he claims that and it never happened. He also has this great story about pinning a uh, uh, pinning a medal on a soldier in the field, and that never happened. There's a lot of stuff that comes that happens that never happened that Joe Biden says. Is he actually going to be censured, maybe like the president and the former president of the United States? I think that's something to think about. 
Uh, so here's uh, a little bit more from Mike Davis. He's an internet accountability of he's from the Internet Accountability Project. Cut twenty four. It seems to happen a lot uh, when you are, you know, dealing with these uh, with these corporations trying to protect their interest. We, I mean, we see yes. this with big tech. I mean, with we have Craigslist founder, a billionaire, funding this study, and then the study relies upon Facebook, Google, and Twitter employees to find out whether there's conservative censorship. And what the the people that they're not asking about conservative censorship are conservatives. And yeah. so, of course, uh, you know, they didn't find any censorship, just like, you know, the tobacco industry didn't find any problems with tobacco and kids. I mean, it's just it, it's a it was a pretty amazing study. So, you know, Silicon Valley basically funded the NYU study that showed there's no conservative bias when it comes to social media platforms. We know that's not true. Even in the example listed in The New York Times by this editorial writer called Kevin Roos, all you had to do is just to play the game. Listen, if you have a problem with QAnon and who doesn't, maybe you have a problem with Antifa too. Antifa didn't make the cut. They're not a problem with disinformation on the Internet as they communicate and attack in level cities like Seattle and Portland on a daily basis. one 408 But I want to continue with this. Kimberly Strassel was asked about this last night, and she came up with her point of view uh, on this. Cut 22. Well, and that is the really rich part about this. I mean, here's a a piece that is uh, wringing its hands over uh, the mainstreaming of crazy, even as it mainstreams crazy, Laura. I mean, it was only a couple of weeks ago that Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez suggested that we have a truth commission in Congress that the media should come in front of. She was laughed at. And yet, two weeks later, here we are, and the New York Times is treating that as a serious idea. Um, and, and quoting people uh, with respectable positions, suggesting this indeed should become a reality in the Biden administration. It's beyond it's beyond parody. I should come to you from Alaska. Kimberly Strassel, The Wall Street Journal. Now, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis pushback. I love this. Never even thinking this was possible. But he's going to war with big tech and he's going to war specifically as part of a measure that he's offered. Also backed by the, the speaker in Florida. He suggested $100,000 fines per day for deplatforming political candidates. If you are Twitter, if you are Facebook, if you are Google, if you start using algorithms to minimize exposure, you could be fined $100,000 per day. The governor also calling on allowing people to opt out of content algorithms, requiring the notification about changes in terms of service on a daily basis. He also announced that under this policy, the Florida AG would be empowered to bring cases against tech companies under the unfair... Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast. Like, subscribe, and share. Air and Deceptive Practices Act. He goes on. Cut 21. What we're allowing people to do is bring civil suits under the Florida Deceptive and Unfair Trade Practices Statute and Anti-Fraud Statute, and also allowing the state attorney general to do that as well. Is this going to be a big fight in the legislative session? Hopefully we'll be able to get a lot of support. I think most folks 
do want protections for their privacy and their yes. data. I think most folks want protections from being deplatformed. So what? You go to a rally that they don't like or you engage in wrong think and all of a sudden your flower business is decapitated for, for a month because they take action. So I think we're go we've gone down a dangerous path on this. This provides protections. And I wonder if it's going to help a Florida resident named Donald Trump. Maybe he could start finding Twitter 100,000 day, a, a day for not platforming him. When we come back, uh, inside the legal case on impeachment for the president and for the Democrats. And are we actually going to see witnesses that will delay this for weeks? Jonathan Turley, law professor, George Washington University, coming our way. And then your call is 1-866-408-7669. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't go anywhere. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News Podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think the president should be tried. I hope he will vote to be convicted. Anything past that um, is something we can discuss. But he deserves conviction. Nothing less. Uh, that is uh, Chuck Schumer, but he thought that from day one. He was moving to impeachment day one, and now they're going for impeachment two as he's now two weeks into his uh, post-presidency. Jonathan Turley's been there every step of the way. In fact, I understand, Jonathan Turley, that you briefed Republicans about what this was what this was, and wasn't constitutionally. Is that correct? Uh, that That is correct, yes. Um, how'd that go? I mean, they had a lot of—there's a lot of lawyers <laughs> up there. Did it— did they have a little questions for you? And what did you walk? Did you do you sense that they think it's their that's their best fight? It's unconstitutional. Well, I actually performed the same function at, before the uh, first Trump impeachment trial, and we spoke about various issues of constitutional and prudential concerns. I tried to offer both sides, and there was a, a diversity of opinion among the fifty senators. It's always an interesting experience as an academic. I, I wish that it, 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 these discussions were public because they are in sharp contrast to what we constantly see in Congress. Uh, you know, these are generally really civil and substantive discussions, and it's a shame that it occurs in private. Uh, but there are a couple of threshold issues that the Senate will have to address, or at least each senator will have to address. One deals with the obvious constitutional question is whether you can try a former president to vote to remove someone who's already left. There's also the prudential threshold question of whether the Senate wants to legitimate a snap impeachment. This is the first impeachment I know of that went to the Senate with literally no record of a hearing, an investigation, witness testimony, even a formal opportunity for the president to respond. Some senators are concerned with that. They don't want to legitimate that snap process. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can't say the House. They, people had to give both sides. We just saw the, the tedious nature from the first impeachment with the Ukrainian phone call. It went on and on and on, and the redundancy was mind-numbing. This, you had nothing. Well, you had, it, it's, it's somewhat humorous because in the first impeachment when I testified in the House Judiciary, I chastised the House for moving in the shortest period of time with the thinnest record of any presidential impeachment. Well, they then outdid themselves in the second <laughs> impeachment of the same president. They sent no record at all. 
So the question is, will there be witnesses? And if there are witnesses, what would it do? Senator Lindsey Graham thought about that and said Democrats should really think about it, too. Cut 14. What purpose is there to to replay tapes over and over when we actually live through the thing itself? They didn't call one witness in the House. They impeached the president of the United States in less than 50 hours without a lawyer present. So you're going to try to recreate the trial in the Senate? I think the Senate would be doing the country a great service by telling the House, you didn't call any witnesses in the House. You're not going to call any in the Senate. You're not going to drag this out for political purposes. We're going to get this trial over in three or four days, not three or four weeks, and we're going to move on doing the business of the American people. So if you call witnesses, this thing would go on weeks, right? Yeah, and he was stating that prudential uh, concern. You know, I have a column coming out today in The Hill talking about this strange anomaly. You know, the, the House's position is that it can impeach a former president two hours, two days, or 20 years later. And it was clear that Trump would not be in office for any trial So it's still unclear why the House couldn't hold hearings. But what's really interesting is that the House has let weeks go by where they're asking for witnesses, but they're not calling them before the House. They could still create that record, right? I mean, I I wrote on the blog, identified 10 or so witnesses who could be called because they're already speaking publicly. But the House has not called them, did not, has decided not to lock in their testimony. That could become part of the public record. And the question is, why? Why wouldn't you want to hear from those witnesses in your own House? Because you moved on and it's all about politics? Do you want me to answer that question or you kind of knew it? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I sense it. I had my hand up, but you never call me in class, Professor. Uh, so, so let's look at the Democratic case. They have an 80-page brief. Uh, the managers outlined the arguments they plan to make that Mr. Trump is singly re- uh, responsible for whipping up his supporters into a frenzy as part of a concerted campaign to cling to power, spinning a vivid narrative of a harrowing day when lawmakers were forced to flee uh, for their life. They're going to show the video of that. They're going to hear some people in the crowd saying, let's storm the Capitol. And they're going to look at the muscular areas of his speech and say, Donald Trump did that. They're not going to bring up, go there and protest peacefully and patriotically. So will that be a compelling case? Well, actually, that's the subject of this column, because there is something missing in that long uh, defense, uh, that long House brief. And that is evidence of intent. That is, you, you, you have this long brief that prefers to simply describe the how people received Trump's words or how they reacted after the speech, but no real effort to establish what Trump intended from the speech. So, for example, the, the House Democrats say that uh, the president uh, um, issued a tweet around 2.30 telling people again to be peaceful, listen to the police, and respect law yeah. and order. But they just dismiss that and say, well, it, 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 they indicate that they think that was just not really intended. Uh, but the problem is that he has statements on the record that run counter to this narrative. He said in the speech, you should go peacefully. He described the protest as going to show support for those who would be challenging the election and remind those who don't that they will be opposed uh, in their own party. 
Um, then around 2.30, in my view, way too late, uh, the president issued his tweet saying, you need to follow you know, the orders of the police. You need to do this lawfully. And then, of course, he later told people to go home. Now, should that have come hours earlier? You bet. I was critical of the president while this was unfolding, as many of us were. He should have issued a statement within minutes of people pounding on those doors uh, in, in Congress. But the question is, what is what do you have for true intent? I mean, the House seems to be inviting people to simply speculate, to say, yeah, he may have said those things, but he didn't mean it. And that sounds a lot like a case of sort of impeachment negligence, that we just think he was negligent or he's not really meaning what he was saying. Interesting. Uh, so they have a, a new legal team. Uh, the Trump defense put together 14 pages. Evidently, it was sprinkled with typos. And their broad argument was that Trump's remarks on the 6th in the weeks before constitutionally are constitutionally protected. While they don't argue explicitly that Trump had won the 2020 election reportedly as he wanted them to, meaning the president, some say he won his legal team due to the lawyers sought to shroud his false claims of widespread voter fraud with free speech arguments. Is that a good tactic? Well, first of all, it's not a, a shroud to raise free speech. It does go to the question of whether the president can be impeached for speech that would likely be viewed as protected in federal court. Now, this is a matter of great debate among academics. Uh, some people, you know, a lot of experts that says, no, this is an open and shut case of criminal incitement. I got to tell you, I just don't believe that. I've, I've been a criminal defense attorney for 30 years. I would view this as an exceptionally weak case uh, because of cases like Brandenburg, where the Supreme Court has really made it quite difficult to treat speech as a crime, particularly a speech where you have the person making conflicting sort of messages, saying, go fight for your country, but then also saying, but go peacefully. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously a counter argument there. Um what do you think that what have you heard is the reason why he switched legal teams? Have you heard it was because he wanted to prove that the election was stolen? Because I also heard it was mo a money thing. But yet he has a ton of money. Could he use the money donated to so-called stop the steal for this? I'm not too sure. It would depend upon how that fund was worded when they were soliciting money. Um, there it was a, a number of reports that said that the president wanted to emphasize election fraud. Yeah. And that would be a serious mistake because that would be viewed by many senators in the, on the Republican side as almost contemptible of their institution. I mean, they, it's not that it's non-germane. It's referenced in the mm -hmm. article. It's just not what's called determinative. The issue is not whether the president was right but whether he intended to incite an right. insurrection. That is the article. Did he want to incite not just a riot, but an insurrection? Show and I think that the yeah. House Democrats are undone by their own excessive language. The other thing is one of his uh, attorneys, this guy Schoen, uh, he pointed to another potential argument that could help Trump, that at least some of the Trump supporters stormed the Capitol in a pre-planned attack that they had this planned in advance, suggesting the former president was not obviously involved in the planning of an invasion of the Capitol. They clearly there was a Virginia group that was uh, drilling and they were observed by the FBI. Can you use that as a defense? 
You can, but then the House Democrats can come back and say, well, the president was inciting this type of conduct for weeks, and it's not just this speech, but he was using this type of language earlier, and his speech simply incited others uh, to go to the Capitol. So there's ways to to counter that, that argument. His best argument is the constitutional and prudential arguments to begin with, but then to argue that this is not incitement to insurrection. I mean, the one of the problems with not holding a hearing in the House is that some of us would have said, look, if you think this is impeachable, at least write this thing <laughs> in a in, in a balanced way. It, it, you don't have to say it's incitement to insurrection. You can say that he was encouraging unlawful conduct. But they wanted that to be the issue, that the president was actually trying to create a rebellion. Lastly, if, if you, they start calling witnesses, when will we know? And what do you think the defense response will be? And what would this mean for the duration of the trial? Well, we should know soon, um, in the next few days, I would think. Um, this is a double-edged sword for the House. They clearly were not that interested in witnesses that they let weeks go by without calling them into House to get them locked in. So they apparently are not that eager to get some of these fact witnesses under oath. They seem to be more interested in getting people under oath who will say, I thought that I was being encouraged to go to the Capitol or uh, hear some Mm. of these personal testimonials. Those go to how those words were received, not how they were intended. Understood. And, and, you know, any speech we make, uh, Jonathan Turley, let's say you're a fiery speaker, which would not surprise me. And you say, you know, we are country slipping away and we got to be willing to work to get our country back. And somebody misinterprets Jonathan Turley's cerebral uh, cerebral intent. And next thing you know, they do something horrific. They go, well, we got to blame Turley. That's I and, and this is a bad thing. I mean, you're going to blame Jody Foster for the killing of John Lennon, something that she did that was misinterpreted by a psychopath that killed a, an American or a British icon. I think that's a, a bad road to go down. Well, I think that, frankly, one of the things you can expect from the defense is that they're going to throw up on a screen virtually identical language used by Democrats, including Democrats who challenge legitimacy of Trump's election, even on Inauguration Day when there were violent protests occurring. Right, on Trump's election. On Trump's election, yeah. yeah. 2016. Jonathan Turley, I, I've exhausted you. you should take, you're going to have to give up the rest of your day and just relax. <laughs> I mean, I've asked you so I'll many questions. I'll tell my wife. <laughs> I know you have a lot to do. Um, are you guys back? Does George Washington University go to school, or are they, are they off campus? No, it's virtual. It still is virtual. I have actually my all of, uh, two, well, three of my kids are still in the house. Two are college students, going virtually. So, the problem is that one of them, Aiden, is a first year student, and he gets his parents as his college roommates. Think of that as a nightmare. <laughs> uh, it's a. I, I mean, all kidding. I, I get these stories. My daughter goes up to school. You know what they tell her? Don't join a gym. Do not socialize. Do not go out more than once a day to the food store for two weeks, and then we'll see what the numbers look like. So wait a second. Don't socialize. Don't go to a restaurant and, and go study off campus in an off-campus apartment while not going on campus. Why am I paying for a tuition? <laughs> well, it is. I, I, I've heard that same thing. I've, I, we have friends whose, whose kids have gone to college, and they sit in their dorms uh, and take virtual classes. 
Because the thing is, colleges want those dorm dollars. That is a huge amount of revenue for universities. It's incredible. You know, and it's uh, I, I, if they said this ahead of time, a lot of them would have chosen not to go back. They waited to the last minute after Christmas to make this announcement. She got this email as she was traveling up there. Might have made a different decision, you know, and just save it for a real college experience because you know it's not just about the books. It's about growing up, meeting people, socializing, making your own decisions. Everyone's losing at every level, but you should not dismiss what the college kids are losing too. No, it's very, very true. And you can't also dismiss the depression and isolation. I interviewed, and my last thing, I interviewed someone today who's a high school senior. Their son was a high school senior quarterback. When the season was canceled, he was a scholar. He had 14 different opportunities to play in college. Uh, he killed himself. So the suicide is oh, going through the God. roof. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. There, there's, there's necessary pain and there's unnecessary pain. This is a total overreaction, and I think we're going to look back and say that. But I've gotten totally off. I'm talking to you as a parent now, not as a lawyer. So <laughs> please release me from my fees. <laughs> Jonathan, thank you. I shall do so. You got thank it. Thank you. For the power vested in you. Back in a moment. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. They asked whether the president has made a decision on keeping or keeping the scope of Space Force. Wow, Space Force. It's the plane of today. Um, it is an interesting question. Um, I am happy to check with our Space Force point of contact. I'm not sure who that is. I will find out and see if we have any update on that. What a sarcastic, ridiculous, inappropriate comment. Can you believe that? Jennifer Saki, on giving a daily press briefing, when asked about Space Force, she mocked it. It is a branch of government with professionals in there, elite scientists there, because there is a legitimate threat of space. I don't know if you understand, but there are satellites in space. Do you guys have a phone? Do you have a TV? Do you ever look at something streaming? You're watching Netflix now? Are you listening to the show on an app? Those are satellites. If they start aiming at our satellites to take them out, what will happen? Is there a way to protect that? Is there a way to fight against that? Mike Walt sees this and writes, while the Biden administration continues to think about whether or not the CCP, meaning Communist Chinese, uh, is a threat, China is working overtime to become the dominant force in space. We need the professionals at Space Force DOD to keep America safe. So Jen Psaki came back. And said, we look forward to the continuing work of Space Force and invite the members of the team to come visit us in the briefing room anytime to share an update on their important work. Tongue firmly in cheek. What is wrong with you? Anything Trump does, you have to mock? Do you understand there are people that were appointed there, have nothing to do with the president you don't like, that others do? Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. 
It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, here we go. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Rich Lowry uh, will be with us shortly, editor of the National Review. Uh, he is uh, talking about a bunch of things, uh, including his latest article, Joe Biden, the most radical left-wing president in U.S. history. There's just no question about it so far. I don't care what his reputation is. Look at his record so far. And we'll get into detail on that. And then uh, a little bit after that, we're going to welcome in New Jersey's own uh, Tony Siragusa. Not only is he a Super Bowl-winning defensive lineman with the Baltimore Ravens, started with the Cleveland Browns, he is also a business owner and knows what it's like. I'm very curious what it's like to be in a bar restaurant business in this climate. How has he been able to survive? We're going to talk about that. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. They just make up the news. They make up the facts here, and then you're supposed to just fall in line. And if you don't, what's you know what does Twitter do? What does Facebook do? What does what does Google do with their YouTube platform? They they will they'll silence people who disagree with. Them. No question. Frustrated with misinformation, the New York Times has a solution. Have Joe Biden set up realities are to tell us what's true or not, like his background and his past when he makes stories up. And Florida's taking action against big tech. We'll tell you about it. Number two. They didn't call one witness in the House. They impeached the President of the United States in less than 50 hours without a lawyer present. I think the Senate would be doing the country a great service by telling the House, you didn't call any witnesses in the House, you're not going to call any in the Senate. Impeachment part two, case previews presented, and now Biden and company have no choice but to pause and watch. We're going to look at how next week's historic trial of a former president plays out and why I believe... Instead of retiring President Trump, it'll revive President Trump. Number one. But in the end, I think that's it's a good project. Uh, I believe in climate change, uh, but I also think that this one pipeline isn't going to turn it around. But so in the end, yeah, I supported the Keystone Pipeline. That is John Tester, a Democrat, which is precisely why we want to talk to Rich Lowry in a matter of moments. Green without envy. Climate czar John Kerry's clueless quest for a carbon-free world has steamrolled countless Americans. And now even some Dems see the folly in crushing the XL pipeline. Pressure mounts to reverse the move. I don't know if I'll ever feel the pressure. Rich, as editor of the National Review, you know, you would think that somebody with a reputation with a reputation of making deals would not want to come out with an all-time record 47 election, uh, uh, executive orders and actions, by far a new record, one of which killed on the spot with his signature between 10 and 15,000 jobs, the XL pipeline. Welcome back. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, it's totally ridiculous that this is utter symbolism. The Keystone Pipeline has nothing to do with the future of the planet. It's just pumping oil from Canada into Nebraska to hook up with uh, other pipelines. I don't know, it's like 1,200 miles or something when we have 2.5 million miles or something of oil and gas pipeline in the United States. So this is symbolism, but there are people at the receiving end of the symbolism, these blue-collar workers who have good jobs that are going to go away because of this this climate fanaticism among Democrats. And I think this will be a big element of the backlash to Biden in 2022. And you can already see it in some of the uh, some some Democrats showing some signs of uh, uh, buckling on this. 
Kevin McCarthy goes down with uh, goes down to Houston to talk about the impact of this pipeline stopping and the real jobs that are lost. And he goes and shows up with uh, Dan Crenshaw and he talks as it being a by uh, both bodies talking about 86 House members, 15 senators. Uh, they would put try to put together legislation to help push back on this. How significant that Joe Manchin and John Tester, Democrats, don't want to see this happen, don't want to see the pipeline canceled. Uh, I think it's encouraging. Uh, I'm not sure whether it will make a, a difference, but uh, moderate Democrats and Democrats from energy-rich areas know this is poisonous politics. And the, the idea, as we've heard John Kerry and some others say, oh, well, we're, we're going to destroy your job now, but don't worry, you know, you'll be able to make solar panels some, some date in the future. That is high-handed, arrogant, and unrealistic that China, for better or worse, dominates the solar panel industry. So why, when we have all this wealth sitting under our feet, coal, oil, natural gas, why would we just leave it there <laughs> instead of employing people to extract it and to use it to power our economy and to sell abroad? It's completely absurd. Here, talk about absurd. Let's hear John Kerry in his own arrogant words with Fareed Zakaria. Cut three canceling the Keystone Pipeline, the decision on no new fracking on new federal lands. Those governmental decisions are going to put people out of work, in fact, already are doing so. What do you say to those people? We're a great nation at creating jobs. There are going to be a massive, literally millions of jobs created over these next years, uh, and there will be a transition in our economy. I mean, could you ever, can you believe that he would, this is a guy that's been doing this for 50 years. Could he be that tone deaf? No, oh, well, he's been tone deaf for most of those, uh, almost all those 50 years, Brian. So, so this is nothing. This is par for the course. <laughs> and just, you know, economy depends on productivity. So if you're, if you're destroying efficient jobs and then spending money to try to make inefficient jobs, these so-called in, in, green energy jobs, you're still behind. You're still hurting yourself economically. So it, it doesn't make any sense on any level. And even if they got everything they want on, on climate, it's going to make almost zero difference to what the global temperature will be 80 or 100 years from now, because there's so many other inputs into that, including China, which is bringing coal-fired power plants uh, on, online like, uh, like nobody's business. And they're not going to stop doing that because they, they may be nefarious, but they're not stupid. Very true. Uh, we're talking with Rich Lowry. Rich, the other thing the president did yesterday uh, is attack bad policy when it comes to immigration. You know, building the wall, uh, stopping the flow of illegal immigrants, uh, stopping the caravans before they get to even Mexico, and, it, and asking our neighbors to the south to help us, and they did. That really means that Joe Biden has to act sarcastically. Cut one. I'm not making new law. I'm eliminating bad policy. Um, what I'm doing is taking on the issues that 99% of them that the president, the last president of the United States, issued executive orders I thought were very counterproductive to our security, counterproductive to who we are as a country, particularly in, uh, in, uh, in the area of immigration. Well, it's a word of fiery and inspirational words. He started by saying uh, those people on a public charge, that means people who are coming here immediately going on food stamps or needing our, 
our infrastructure system, they now have access to it again. The president stopped that because it was a big magnet for that. He also says, I want to reunite families and kids. In many of those cases, those kids came over with fake guardians Mm -hmm. who were paid to do that because the kids got in for free. So these people are never going to be tracked down. And he wants to naturalize millions, nine million uh, illegal immigrants that came here. Yeah, so the most most important policy question on the border uh, is, is he going to go in reverse these Trump policies to have asylum seekers, most of whom whose claims are just totally bogus, have them remain in Mexico while their claims are adjudicated, or go back to other these other countries in Central America that we forged these so-called safe uh, third uh, country agreements with, because the prior system was a debacle, because we'd let people in, then we'd say, okay, you're claiming asylum, it'll take us three years to figure out whether you actually deserve asylum or not, then 80% of the time we'll say, no, you don't deserve asylum, and then you've disappeared and we never deport you. So that was just a free ticket into the country that created a a massive magnet for uh, more migrants to come. And Trump actually figured out a policy that made sense to stop this. So if Trump undoes that, sorry, if Biden undoes that, He's really uh, waving a flag saying, uh, come here and start another migrant crisis. So that's a big choice. He said he's going to reverse those, but he hasn't yet. And then, uh, obviously, on everything else, it reflects the new kind of open borders orthodoxy of the Democratic Party, where we're a long way from when the likes of Bill Clinton said illegal immigration was a travesty and had to stop. Uh, The current Democratic Party doesn't care about that at all. And Biden's amnesty, if they're actually enacted, I don't think it will be, would uh, wave tens of millions of new immigrants into the country. Because once you give an illegal immigrant a green card and then make him or her a citizen, they're allowed to bring all sorts of relatives Chain uh, migration. From, from overseas. Absolutely. Rich, this is why you write the case. Uh, this is why you write that uh, this is the most radical left-wing presidency in history, over, and it's only been two weeks. Then he also said what Trump did is just uh, had these, this border, these border rules, these border laws, but he never got, attacked the root of the problem. Is why they're coming here to begin with. Yes, he did. He first he denied the aid, then he went back. The, re- the aid was restored when they controlled their borders. This happens to be a success story as much as you can have. Yeah. Now, how is yeah. it, Rich, that they can sleep at night telling us to wear a mask, stay six feet away, and stopping the British and French from coming here without getting a test? But it's okay to let thousands of people we never don't know anything about come yeah. across our border and not tell them to leave for 100 days? Yeah, it makes zero sense. And look, if, if we can help the Central American countries get on a better development path, great. Let's do it. But that's a, a decades-long uh, venture. You know, it's not going to immediately stop this flow. And in fact, the, what usually happens, a country gets a little bit richer, more people come because they have more means to, you know, buy the, play the coyotes or uh, pay the transit costs. So that that's just a that's a talking point that has zero connection to reality. You have to control the asylum uh, system and control the border. And at the end of the day, they have very little interest in doing that. No kidding. Let's talk about the Republican Party now. When you're trying to kick Liz Cheney out of leadership because she voted for to impeach the president, uh, that to me is a bridge too far. When you send Matt Gates over to Wyoming or he decided on his own volition to try to primary her two years before her election, uh, how is that a priority? Do you worry about the Republican Party? I do. I think we'll see. We'll know more about Liz Cheney's fate soon. A lot of people obviously disagreed with her vote. It was a vote of conscience. She's she's a responsible and reasonable person. 
And, um, you know, I think in that sense, the party should be a fairly big tent. You shouldn't go out and run her down uh, and, and punish her. You can disagree with her. You can criticize her. You can actually you can try to defeat her in a primary in two years. That's fine. But I don't think she should be kicked out of, of leadership. And I kind of think she won't be. But uh, it, it would not be a healthy dynamic if, if they do boot her. So what about Congresswoman uh, Green? So she goes, uh, she gets in there, voted by the, the people of uh, Georgia, and she gets this spot. Um, and we know the president uh, liked her, even though she's got, to say the least, controversial views that Jewish lasers started fires, fires, reportedly, uh, that, you know, a whole bunch of things about 9-11 being a farce, including she later apologized and called a Sandy Hook mom, but said that was all set up by actors and actresses, the, the massacre at Sandy Hook. But she did get elected, and now they might yeah. want to move her out of uh, the education committee or all committees because Democrats don't like that. I want you to hear what Carl Rove said. You got a congresswoman in Georgia that is threatening to define the Republican Party. How do you keep a big tent but keep the fringes kind of out of the main dining area? Yeah, look, if you, if you're, if you believe that the Jews control a space laser that, that, that starts fires in Northern California and that there's some unnamed high-ranking government official who's got a heretofore unknown security classification called Q and all the nutty things that flow with that, you should be taken off the prestigious uh, House Education Labor Committee and confined to the dark recesses of the, of, of, of the furthest building away from the House floor and then let the voters decide in the next election. She is a problem for our party. How do you view it? I agree with that. I, I don't think she should be expelled. The Republican voters in her district, they nominate her, and then the voters in the district elected her. So that's a representation of the, the Democratic will that shouldn't be overturned lightly. I, I, I think it's bad for the Democrats to push for a vote to actually expel her uh, from these committees or keep her off these committees. That would set a very b- bad precedent. But I do think that the party needs to do some um, patrolling of its own fringes here. And I, I wouldn't give her committee assignments. And I, I would say, you know, to the voters of Georgia, you know, she, we're not working with her. You can send her here again, send her here again, but we're not working with her. And they probably won't send her again. And I just think this kind of conspiracy-laden malevolence that she represents is a real poison to the party and a threat to its, its future. And the party needs to send a message. That's, that's not who we are. You know, we can have all sorts of debates about Trump, about impeachment, about tariffs, about uh, any number of policies. But, but this, in my view, is beyond the pale. True. But, Elon, doesn't this open up a slippery slope? Elon Omar, I look at her views as radical. Mm-hmm. Maybe Democrats don't. Maybe some of our yep. listeners don't. You know, look at what Presley has said. What about the anti-Semitic remarks from the entire squad that we've heard? I'm offended by them. But yeah. uh, but I think it's kind of crazy to to think that I can speak for Queens, New York, and I can speak for you know Athens, Georgia. Yeah, well, one that's why I wouldn't go along with any Democratic vote to punish her in any way because they they need to police their own too. Why why has Maxine Waters been a Democrat and in, yeah. in good standing given all the ascendancy and crazy things she said over the years? But that aside, I, I think Republicans need to police their own. And if Democrats don't do it for themselves, well, that's that's why we don't like Democrats very much. But the the Republican Party needs to to draw some lines. And she, again, you know, 
you're you're a uh, four square full throated populist. Fine, you know I, I'm a more traditional conservative. Fine, let's have arguments about policy. But this is beyond the pale. J- Jewish space lasers are are not a legitimate uh, element of the party's debate. Right. I did not know even that phrase existed. Uh, but now everybody does. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, Rich, we'll come pick up your book, The Case for Nationalism, and your article is right to the point. Biden is the most radical left-wing president in U.S. history. I wish you were wrong. So far, you're not. I hope one day you'll <laughs> well, be wrong. I've been wrong before. <laughs> <laughs> but I hope you're not this time. Uh, I, I, think you, I think you're right on the money this time, sadly. We're going to take a short time out. Be back. Getting past all the rhetoric. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Half the country right now doesn't believe anything they hear on Fox. The other half doesn't believe anything they hear on CNN or MSNBC. Why? I was working at CNN back when that plane went missing and watched them discuss the likelihood that it went into a black hole for the better part of a month. It's no wonder we've lost faith in so many of our institutions, whether it's politics or whether it's Hollywood or medicine or or science, but it, it starts with the press. And if we can't trust more or less what we hear from the media, then we're not going to trust anything. That's why my book is called The Way I Heard It, not The Way It Was. I don't know the way it was, but everybody's going around right now saying this is what I heard and this is what I believe, and I don't believe it because I didn't hear it on this channel and so forth and so on. And so I, I think that's a good point, as usual. Uh, Mike Rowe makes it, made it on Fox & Friends a short time ago, and we're just talking about the credibility of a thought police, of an information police, as a reality police. That's what the New York Times article by Kevin Roos two days ago is offering, and there's some big blowback there. Reason Magazine writes, what I picked up is they want to crack down and worry about what uh, QAnon says, what the Proud Boys are putting out. Can you at least pretend to be balanced and write what Antifa does? And if you talk about the truth police, don't you think that Joe Biden might have a little bit of a problem, as, as written in Reason Magazine by Matt Welch? Looking forward to the reality checks are. The reality checks are de- deal with Joe Biden's claim to have been arrested for trying to see Mel- Nelson Mandela, which it turns out was not close to being true. Also, I hereby, this is he went on to say, I hereby nominate Michael Avenatti as America's first minister of truth. You know, he did not say anything good. He actually mistreated the porn star while taking on the president. And he lied so to, to such a degree, he is now in jail. Uh, thanks so much for listening. I want you to keep it right here because when we come back, we have a little bit of fun. We talk about small business with small business owner Tony Saragusa. But we also talk about this game called the Super Bowl with a guy that won it before the only time he was there for the Baltimore Ravens. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. 
Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's been a year like no other. It's uh, bleeding into another year like no other in 2021. And we're going to have a Super Bowl like no other. A couple of reasons. Why? First off, you have a team who made the Super Bowl who's actually hosting the Super Bowl. Never been, uh, before been done in history. And number two is you're not going to sell out. You're going to sell about 20,000 tickets and about 20,000 cutouts. Uh, Tony Siragusa, uh, former Super Bowl champ, outstanding defensive lineman with the Colts, with the Browns, with the Ravens, and a great personality, even to this day, and a small business owner. Tony Siragusa, welcome back. Let me tell you, Brian, it's so nice to have you call me once a year. This is awesome. I look forward to it. Well, I mean, do you want me to call Christmas you more? Bit. Do you want me to call you more? Yeah, I mean, call me during the week. Let's go for a beer. Let's go hang out a little bit. How you been, man? Did you, Make sure you tell everybody the story about 20. It was exactly 20 years ago. We won the uh, Super Bowl with the Ravens, and I saw this little reporter guy behind the lines, and he couldn't get into the, into the area where they were doing all the interviews. And what happened, Brian? Okay, let me just let me frame it. Wasn't a little reporter. I'm okay, a, I'm a strapping 5'9", 5'10", 173, okay? <laughs> Number two, it was Tampa, and you beat the Giants. But I'm a reporter, even though I'm pulling for the Giants growing up in New York. Right. Uh, and you're a New Jersey guy, right. but you can't pull for the Giants. You're on the Ravens. And what happened is they did a, in Tampa, the same stadium, they did a great job for the first time in walling out every reporter. So not that I didn't miss it. Right. No one was there. And then Tony Saragusa leans over on the stage and said, let him in. And you, I get in and I get all the interviews for the best ever recap package <laughs> for Fox News Channel in the history of Fox News Channel. Thanks to Tony Saragusa. I, I start- I, 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 I elevated your career, man, and, I, and, I, and every time I see you on Fox, which I watch every single day and listen to your podcast all the time, not every day, but all the time, and uh, I'm glad to see you're doing very well, looking svelte. I mean, uh, you're the best-looking guy on Fox, i got to tell you that. Really? Now, do you know that Bill Hemmer listens to my podcast, too? He might take that personal, but I don't care. Tony Saragusa well, says it. I'm going to go with it. Bill's got the physique and stuff, you know, but I—, I you got him. I think you got him. You're maybe about point one. Point one. You got him by. I want to talk business. I want to talk politics a little bit. Plus, you're over in New Jersey, and we can hear some WABC too. Just for the record, but Tony, I got I got to talk right. to you too about this game. At 43 years old, it's beyond incomprehensible that he's doing it. But he doesn't look like Namath in his waning years or Unitas with the San Diego Chargers. At 43, he looks athletic as he's ever looked. And I, I actually downloaded the TB12 book after watching some of his uh, highlights after the championship game. Because, you know, he's never much of a runner. He wasn't Doug Flutie. But how have you got your mind around it as a fellow elite athlete like you are, how he's doing it? Yeah. It's, it's amazing. You know, when you, when you play in the NFL, I mean, not at the quarterback position, but you're getting hit at quarterback, but – your alignment or any other position, you, the reason why you retire, you get out, is because you can't recover anymore. You know, you're, you're in so much pain where, you know, it takes a full week for you to go and feel even good enough to get on the field. I don't know what he's, you know, what kind of blood he has or what kind of water he's drinking, but, but he, he looks, you know, it doesn't look like he ages at all. It looks like he knows exactly what to do. He has a game plan in his head. Um, he doesn't get, you know, flustered when, when the guy drops the ball. I mean, in the, in the last, you know, in the, in the AFC championship or NFC championship game, you know, he had a couple, you know, his receivers had a couple really important drops 
and he just got went back to the bench. Okay, as long as there's ten seconds left, there's no problem. Like it's it's amazing to watch him out there and uh, and his offensive line and 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 his receivers who he's only been with for you know a few months. Um, how that team has really come together. I mean, he he amazes me every day. I think it was Danny Amendola who came out and said, "Let's be honest, the Patriot way is Tom Brady. It is not Bill Belichick." What do you think? I think it's a combination. I mean, you can't go and, and, and you know, obviously it's great when you have a great quarterback, right? But you got to look back to when Tom got hurt and he was out for, you know, a good portion of the season. I mean, Bill stuck another quarterback in there. I think it was Castle. And, and they, yeah, and, and, they, and they went to the Super Bowl or they, you know, they, they still competed. So I think it's a combination of both. I mean, when you have a great coach and a great quarterback, I mean, that, that's a great recipe. You know? All right. I want you to hear from him. Uh, cut 42, when asked what uh, uh, going – he asked about the challenge of going back-to-back Super Bowl. That's what Patrick Mahomes has to do with Kansas City at 25, the reigning MVP. Patrick is trying to do something that you did in 03 and 04, winning back-to-back Super Bowls. It is so hard. What makes it such a challenge to do that? I think what makes it such a challenge, it's hard to win one Super Bowl. Okay, that was a crappy answer. I thought it was better. Uh, so I, it looked better in print. Yeah, that, you know what? Get that cut and just even erase that cut. Uh, Tony <laughs> that, that was, that was, yeah, <laughs> I'm very disappointed in that, Tony. I mean, um, I, you, don't, you provide much better sound bites than that. I appreciate that. I appreciate it. I'm going to give you as many as I possibly can. But I, I think, um, you know, it's it, he's right. It is hard to win one Super Bowl. But, you know, the pressure of being world champion and having to come back and, and um, you know, and, and play at the level that you play, I mean, you need a little bit of luck also. I mean, he, he, Patrick Mahomes is, is, in my eye, the, the up-and-coming, uh, you know, best quarterback in the NFL. His mobility, his way he throws, he's so unpredictable. As a defensive lineman, you know, you try to go and find characteristics of a quarterback and what he does and tendencies. And he is very unorthodox, and, and he, he, he scrambles, extends plays. I mean, that's, that's the Kansas City. That's what Kansas City has been riding on, the, the extended plays. And, and Hill, I mean, the speed that Hill has is, is, is unbelievable. I don't know if there's a guy on Tampa Bay's team that could cover him. I mean, to go, to, if you want, to give me a little, want me to give you a little bit more, I like the under. At, what is it, 54 or 56? 56 and a half. I like the under. And I'll tell you what. I think that the defensive line for Tampa is going to have a hard time in, in, you know, keeping Mahomes in the pocket. So I like Kansas City in this game, even though it's going to be, you know, I think it's going to be a close game. I, I still, you know, I like Kansas City, you know, o- overall. Over the, more than three points? I, you know, I like the, I like the three points, I, you know. Okay. I don't know. I got to watch the line and see what it does. Right, see, and you know, and just one guy you can like, relate to. I, I like Kansas City. Jason Pierre-Paul, this athletic uh, guy with one-year college experience, comes to the Giants, wins a Super Bowl with them, and then he blows off his fingers after the uh, blows off three of his fingers, and then he has another major injury. I think it was an Achilles, and now he's back and he's playing much better. What have you seen from him? I've seen, um, you know, when he first played, and I, and I was announcing for for Fox. Um, he just, he really didn't understand football. You know, he knew he had to get the guy with the ball. It was very, you know, they kept it simple. And then the second year, I think they tried to go and teach him the game. And I think it was too much for him. 
And, uh, you know, he had that lull. Then he had the finger problem, and then he had some incidences. But I think watching him now, he understands the game, what to do, how to go and, you know, force players back into the pocket, how to stay in front of him when he doesn't get a good pass rush. He gets his hands up, all seven fingers. Um, and it, it's uh, you know it's worked for him. <laughs> well, I think he's got. I think he's down to. Um, does he have eight or seven? Can we look that up? We have a fact checker. He had a fireworks yeah, blew up his that, finger. Please? Yeah, I'm going to get right on it, uh, Tony. There was something's going on in the NFL which I think is of interest to our listeners, and that is people are beginning to trade quarterbacks. We watch Philip Rivers pick up stakes and go to uh, Indianapolis, have some success there. And then we watch Tom Brady get to the Super Bowl after spending his whole career with the Patriots. And now we're going to see if it's going to happen again as Matthew Stafford gets traded to Los Angeles for Jared Goff. Here's what Shannon Sharp, your former teammate, said. Cut 40. Matthew Stafford is 10-59 and in his career versus teams that have made the playoffs. That is the worst of any quarterback in at least 40 starts versus playoff teams all time. They make it seem like they just traded for Patrick Mahomes. I'm not saying Matthew Stafford isn't better than Jerry Goff. I believe he is. But given his age, given his injury history, given what he hasn't accomplished, this is not a slam dunk like everybody is portraying it out to be. And they wanted to get rid of Goff's contract. They signed him to a, a, this huge deal and then say, oh, he's not that good. It's, it's 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 crazy. I think Stafford is a good quarterback. I think that um, I think that they overused his arm in Detroit. Every quarterback, every every coach that came in, I mean, they just put him back there and throw, 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 throw. But if you look at you know Tampa and Kansas City, they have a good run game. They have a where you're going to go and and get your offense started. And I think they never really did that with Matthew Stafford. And, uh, you know, so maybe hopefully going to L.A., maybe they'll find a good combination from, uh, for him with the run pass. But, uh, you know, I never really liked the finesse game that, that, that Detroit had. But, uh, and then you look at Goff, um, you know, I think he's a good player. I, I don't think he's a great player. Maybe he gets into a different, um, you know, uh, situation and, 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 a, and a different coach and a and and all of a sudden now he becomes the man. But uh, he's got the talent, but it just hasn't really, you know, been consistent at his side. So, Tony, you sold your restaurants. You had you had a few of them. You got out right before the pandemic, yeah. but I'm sure you're not. Yeah, uh, you're you clued in. Yeah, you, I'm sure you're clued into how difficult it's been. Uh, can you oh, describe the, the ridiculous shutdown of businesses that already made the accommodations that were necessary to stay in business? And outside certain states, New Jersey and New York has totally overreacted. Uh, what has it been like for this for these restaurant owners? It's it's a shame. I'm down in Florida right now. I've been here for about uh, five weeks. I'm going to stay for a couple more months. It's just you know, life is just going on as normal. I mean, when you go into a restaurant, you got to wear a mask till you sit down. But it's full occupancy. I mean, they have done an unbelievable job down here in Florida. Now, being a Jersey guy, New York guy, I, I'm just fed up with what they're doing there. They, these, these people, if they look, I mean, there's more people probably down here in Florida than there is in New Jersey right now. It's, it's mobbed. And, and you don't see any spiking. Everyone's following the rules. But these restaurants, I mean, you know, you can give them PPP and PPP, and, you know, that's going to go and, and put a Band-Aid on the cut. But, you know, you, you got to let them open. I mean, this, the people who are staffing, the dishwashers, the cooks, 
the, the, the waitresses, all the restaurants in New York and New Jersey have just scaled down to bare bones and put a lot of people out of work. And I just don't understand, you know, why these two governors aren't going and, and trying to go and open up and, and, and then look at the numbers. I mean, the, the, the numbers down here in Florida, it, it just it feels different. It, I, I watch some of the news down here. Um, it doesn't seem like they're spiking. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they're not I'm wrong, but it's just life. Life is like it was pre-pandemic, and uh, you know, not a hundred percent. I would say ninety percent. But then you go. I go from down here. I go back to New Jersey or New York, and it's like you know, it was in March. It, it, you know, things haven't changed. They want to make changes. Everyone's scared to make a damn decision. If you're if you're you know a, a governor or a or a you know a center man st- stand up and believe you know put your beliefs on your on your collar and tell everybody that this is wrong i just don't understand the, the the everyone plays politics they try to hide you know the deaths in the you know coma with the deaths in in the um nursing the, homes. the older age yeah i mean it's like just listen it happened take it like a man suck it up and tell the people the truth. I'm tired of these damn politicians lying to people day in and day out and, and, and not understanding small business. Small business, listen, you run on, on, you know, people think you make millions and millions of dollars being in the restaurant business. That does not happen. Everybody is coming at you. The cost of food, the cost of liquor, the cost of help, the cost of insurance up, up in New Jersey and New York. I mean, you, down here in Florida, you can get a liquor license for $2,500. Up in New Jersey, I sold one of my liquor licenses, $600,000 I had to pay for a liquor license. It's out of control. I mean, you don't it's make nuts. a lot of money in the restaurant business. Credit card companies take a piece of you. Everybody takes a piece of you. I just hope these governors wake up, understand that these people are hurting, and come out and do something about it and open the damn states up. It's crazy. I hear you, Tony. Then a lot of you cannot have a Super Bowl party in New York because there's a curfew at ten, and no one's kicking people out in the third quarter. So they're going to lose thousands of dollars and put people back in their houses where seventy percent of all cases are. It's just idiocy, um, Tony. Listen, I'm going to take you up on your offer to hang out without a radio or TV. So this might be. I might Let's have. Go. I have not had made a new friend in a long time. Could this be something that we hang out and like we borrow money from each other and? Um, and we, you know, if your oh, car's broken listen, down, I, I change I, I, your tire. I'll give you, I'll give you, you know, we, we got to build a relationship and, you know, I, I mean, I got $20 if you need it right off the bat, but you know what we can, you know, we can work it we'll out. We'll see where bit. it goes. Let's uh, not get ahead of ourselves. And, and see, and see where it goes. Exactly. I mean, we won't, you know, if we want to go out to eat or something like that, we have to fly down to Florida. I do have a aviation company called Titan Aviation out of Morristown, New Jersey. Um, that we do a lot of private jets back and forth to Florida. So if I get an empty one, we'll get together. We'll come down here to Florida where everything is wide open, right? People are moving here in the droves out of New York and New Jersey because of, because of the stipulations up there. And, and we'll go to wherever you want to go. Steak, everything's open down here. Right. Or like a Ruby Tuesdays we can afford, probably. Yeah, Ruby Tuesday. Salad bar be good. Be you know, good. Salad bar. <laughs> Excellent. Tony, congratulations. Yeah. I didn't know you had this tight. So you have Titan Aviation. So if people need private jets, uh, Titan Aviation, right? Yep. You got it. All right, Tony, yep. I'll talk you to you to soon. down, go anywhere. You yeah. got it. Be good. I'm time. calling you. Absolutely. See if I can get my great Pyrenees on them. Uh, thank you, Tony. When we come back, your phone calls to finish up the hour. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. 
There's no topic he won't touch, and there's no opinion he won't engage. It's one of the great joys of my life. Call in with yours at 866-408-7669. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, uh, welcome back, everyone. Just got a few minutes I want to hear this. Do you have this now, this John Kerry? So John Kerry, who famously has a, has a telling us to give up our oil and gas in our country, has a private jet running on jet fuel, obviously, and diesel, I imagine. What does your yacht run on, Allison? Diesel? I don't, I'm not, uh, no regular gas. Regular gas? Okay. You get, so you get 88 uh, octane? So here is John Kerry in 2019 was asked about why you want a private jet telling everyone to get off oil and gas. On that issue, pollution, I understand that you came here with a private jet. Uh, is that the, an environmental way to travel? If you offset your carbon, it's the only choice for somebody like me. Really? If you offset your carbon with what? You promise not to heat your house? You heat your house with just uh, firewood? How do you offset a jet with carbon? Well, what, you pay, right? You donate money somewhere. You do something else to make yourself feel like, you know, you're not really... Right. Know, he wants planet. a carbon tax. You know that, right? Yeah, but so he said um, it's the only choice for someone like me who is traveling the world to win this battle. So evidently he was going to Iceland. So if you're going to go to the Arctic Circle, you're going to go to Iceland. He wants to have climate leadership. So he is now the climate czar. He is still in his private jet, oblivious. Now I'm sure he's going to get a government plane, right? I, I believe, would assume so. And you can't get solar panels on that plane. Can you get batteries? I don't think solar panels would be aerodynamic, right? Can we get him a glider? Well, he does like to kite surf. Oh, yeah, that's true. And that's maybe that's how he balances out his jet. He does not use a gas-powered surfboard. Maybe that powers it. He could have kite surfed across the Atlantic. That would have been great. Because my sense is it wouldn't have gone well. Uh, Thanks so much for listening. Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeadeshow.com or to the podcast at briankilmeade.com. Get any of my books. I personalize and send them out. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, hi everybody. Welcome back to the latest edition of the Brian Kilmeade Show, the latest moments. Martha McCallum, all pumped up for her 3 o'clock show, will be joining us in studio shortly. I imagine we're eventually going to get Hemmer and Dana Perino, right? Because they are free this hour so I'm going to put the pressure on Hammer to relive some of the magic that we've had on radio. But since he was on at 3 o'clock, and then he was on 9 to 12, he could not do the show. So this is going to be big for him. I don't know about Hammer's career. Now it's going to be big. Like he needs a break. Right? He needs more airtime now. Yeah, he needs more airtime. So I'll see if I can convince him to come up here, loosen his tie, and see what happens. Uh, meanwhile... Uh, we are going to be uh, following all the breaking news events. We did have some great news come, and uh, it's going to be great news for us. Larry Kudlow is signed with Fox. Now, he was doing our show even when he was on NBC, and he was kind enough to have me on his radio show when he was on WABC. Now, we're on WABC, and he's on Fox. 
Oh, life has become full circle, and I think he's going to be an FBN. He's going to probably get his own show. Right now, uh, he'll be probably uh, joining us at some point this week or next. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. They just make up the news. They make up the facts here, and then you're supposed to just fall in line. And if you don't, what's you know what does Twitter do? What does Facebook do? What is what does Google do with their YouTube platform? They they will they'll silence people who disagree with. Them. And now that's going to be a problem in Florida. Frustrated for misinformation, the New York Times has a solution. Get this: Have Joe Biden set a, set up a reality czar to tell us what the truth is? Isn't that great? Hasn't he had trouble telling the truth? And Florida is taking uh, up action against big tech. We'll explain. Number two. They didn't call one witness in the House. They impeached the president of the United States in less than 50 hours without a lawyer present. I think the Senate would be doing the country a great service by telling the House, you didn't call any witnesses in the House, you're not going to call any in the Senate. Impeachment part two, case previews presented, and now Biden and company have no choice but to pause and watch and see this sideshow. We will look at how next week's historic trial of a former president plays out and why I believe this will not retire Donald Trump, but will revive Donald Trump. Number one. But in the end, I think that's it's a good project. Uh, I believe in climate change, uh, but I also think that this one pipeline isn't going to turn it around. But so in the end, yeah, I supported the Keystone Pipeline. John Tester, a Democrat, green without envy. Climate czar John Kerry's clueless quest for a carbon-free world has steamrolled countless American jobs. And even though some Dems see the see this folly, the crushing of the XL pipeline is taking place. There's a less-dish effort to change all that. We'll explain it right now. So what happened is you had minority leader for now uh, in the House. He could be the speaker soon. Kevin McCarthy, go down to Houston, joined by Dan Crenshaw and others. And that's where the uh, part of the Keystone Pipeline is. And we'll, we'll end up. And just say how 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 uh, heartaching it is, heart wrenching it is to see fifteen thousand, fifteen thousand maybe more jobs go out the by the board on this executive order. To see all these livelihoods gone for no reason because you want to be climate correct, which I think is absolutely sinful. So they have eighty six House members, fifteen senators signed on as co sponsors. It's both chambers, obviously, to to make the Keystone Pipeline go back online. McCarthy weighed in. Crenshaw weighed in, and even two Democratic senators weighed in, Joe Manchin and John Tester. They are not for shelving this pipeline. Cut for it. Well, at the bottom line, I disagree, and I respectfully disagree with the president and the executive order on doing away with the Keystone Pipeline. I've seen the train blow up in West Virginia carrying that crude. I've seen uh, tanker cars explode going through towns. Uh, It's much safer in that pipeline than it is coming across the road or the rail. If they think they're going to stop that product, that's a heavy crude we need in our refineries. The bottom line is, I'm an all-in energy person, Brett, and we have to have energy basically and not depend on foreign energy. Of course. People in West Virginia would think nothing else. It's not just about coal there. There's also about fracking there. And there's also uh, a ban or a pause on drilling on federal land. That's a huge issue. And that's really going to hurt. For example, in Louisiana, Senator John Kennedy, nine. I don't know about you, Trey, but my car doesn't run off fairy dust. My car doesn't run off unicorn urine. And, And I think once again, President Biden has given in to the left wing crazies. Uh, 
who, who, uh, who say none of us except them care about the planet. That's not true. And who, who, when they break a shoelace, they blame it on climate change. You know, they've taken a specific, discrete, scientific problem. Is our climate changing? How's it changing? What do we do about it? And they've turned it into a religion. It's terrible. And President Biden appears to be sucking it up like a Hoover Deluxe. So listen to this. Uh, John Kerry, the special envoy for climate change with a private jet and a huge yacht, and who knows what other things. Maybe he's got a fleet of jets. He's so rich because his wife has money. So John Kerry weighed in, sat down with Fried Zakaria. You know, you, Fried Zakaria is a globalist, and he is all for this climate stuff. Here he is, trying to give him a layup, but asking him a real question. Cut three. Canceling the Keystone Pipeline, the decision on no new fracking on new federal lands. Those governmental decisions are going to put people out of work. In fact, already are doing so. What do you say to those people? We're a great nation at creating jobs. There are going to be a massive, literally millions of jobs created over these next years, uh, and there will be a transition in our economy. He went on to say that job losses for those who work in the fossil fuel industry are all part of a very exciting economic transition. Isn't that great? Soon they'll be able to make solar panels. And as Rich Lowry brought up to us earlier, most of which are made in China. So that might be a little of an issue, as opposed to using American steel to get Canadian oil into American homes. That, to me, seems to be a no-brainer. So Joe Biden has set an all-time bad record with 47 executive orders or actions. 47. I don't think there was another president with double figures. So Joe Biden wasn't stopping there. Yesterday, he put a series of rules together, or um, I, I guess executive actions together, to try to reverse and fix Donald Trump's terrible immigration rules. And I'm being sarcastic because I love what the president did, uh, former president did on immigration. I love what he did with the Remain in Mexico. I love that he went and called those triangle countries out and said your aid stops until you get a hold of your population and then restored the aid. But Joe Biden was signing away yesterday with three more executive orders. Cut one. I'm not making new law. I'm eliminating bad policy. Um, what I'm doing is taking on the issues that... 99% of them that the president, the last president of the United States, issued executive orders I thought were very counterproductive to our security, counterproductive to who we are as a country. Oh, and by the way, the cameramen are 12 feet away. Why are you wearing a mask? So we and have trouble hearing them anyway. He said, we'll be starting to end a public charge rule. You know what the public charge rule? If you come across, you're going to need food stamp, shelter, food, and benefits and health care. We're going to stop saying you don't, you're not eligible for that. That would be the signal that stops the caravans from coming here. I feel bad for these people, but there's got to be a refugee policy that's plausible and organized. He put it back. That's a huge magnet. He is going to find a naturalization path for 9 million people. Wow. And he's going to stop building the wall. And if you get here, you could stay here 100 days, except for Texas, when they challenged it legally. But don't worry. He says and admits we're not ready to handle the influx of people. So Jen Psaki made this clear. Cut to. So we are trying to repair the damage and the horrific actions of the prior administration by trying to do everything we can to reunite these kids with their families. But it remains a dangerous trip. It remains a time. This is not the time to come to the United States. We need the time to put in place uh, an immigration process so people can be treated humanely. So attention, Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador. Jen Psaki said, can you wait? 
Can you maybe have that exit plan, put it off for, I don't know, six months? Because we have a pandemic, and we're not letting Europeans in. We're not letting Australians in. But we're going to let strangers in with no backgrounds and no paperwork who decide to cross our border illegally. It makes no sense. Put perfectly by Jonathan Swan last night with Brett Baer, Cut 11. It's really easy to criticize Donald Trump for all of his, you know, immigration plans. It's much harder to implement your own policy. So this was basically a punt. Today was actually very cautious and reflected that he realizes, oh, it's much harder once you're actually in office. Easy to criticize, much harder to actually implement. Finish the wall. Turn around to Republicans and say, now we need a pathway to citizenship to end chain migration. Let's let's scrap the lottery to a degree and let's find a way for people here. Our first round draft picks over in Stanford to stay here, our day workers to work here, but do it in an organized way. Most of this stuff we agree on. But finish the border. Pressure Republicans to come to the table. You see what's happening with security at the border. Just ask these men and women. They don't ask them if they're Democrat or Republican. Ask them what's working. You will find out that it's working. Used to work up until the last two weeks. So when we come back, Martha McCallum joins us in studio. And we'll find out what's on her show. Let's find out what's on your mind. 1-866-408-7669. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I would like to see things go down the normal process rather than through budget conciliation, because I believe that all these moves, so the Democrats are in a position to do it now, like executive off uh, orders going down budget reconciliation, they don't fuel unity. What we really need is a lot more emphasis on the legislature where the Democrats dominate and uh, where each side gives a little. I mean, that's the way the system is meant to work. And that's that's really the path to unity. We're never going to agree. The two sides are never going to agree on policy. They're going to dis- but you you have give and take. You get some and you lose some. The Democrats might see a short term advantage in pushing all this through, but it makes these achievements very brittle. Right, my co-host Bill McGurn. That was the longest soundbite I ever remember. Uh, Martha McCallum is here, host of the story uh, at three o'clock now. Martha, in person, I can't believe we're distance for people listening at home, uh, not on Fox Nation, but to see another human—not not only you, but it, not only you, but just another human being—is also special. I, What's it know, like seeing me? I, it's great. <laughs> I, I'm a big believer that. Um, we should all be on set together. So uh, uh-huh. I've been doing it for a long time, um, back here since June, I guess. But I was I was so struck by the reality that we're almost we're getting close to one year, right? Was it March fourteenth yeah. or fifteenth? Which I, I can't believe because I was one of these people who was like, it's going to be over by Mother's Day. It's going to be over by Easter. Um, so I can't believe that we're still dealing with this. I have a lot of thoughts on that, but I'll let you take this where you want. <laughs> uh, there is there's a lot. Uh, I'm oh, gonna, I'll start with the Bill McCurran bike just real quick. Yeah. Uh, I'm heartened by I just saw this comment on Joe Manchin in the hall about an hour ago, came out and said, I'm not signing on to this. There's got to be bipartisan buy-in, which, you know, it could be those 10, those 10 senators, but they got to give something. He also said, I'm not for this minimum wage uh, of at $15. Now, people are doubtful. They say Manchin talks a big game and he backs off, but he's backing himself in or standing strong 
to make it. I don't know how he gets out of this without just holding the line on this. I, I mean, at some point, all of these people are responsible to their constituents and what they believe West and what's good for their own businesses. And he knows that. So, uh, yes, I think that. You know, there's always room for for waffling, but I think that Joe Manchin understands the power of his position right now. And I, I keep going back to Joe Biden during one of the debates saying, I'm the head of the Democratic Party now. And if I win, I'm the leader of the Democratic Party. So I'm waiting to see that leadership on a number of fronts. It would be I think the American people would respond so positively um, if Joe Biden said, you know what? OK, we threw out one point nine. Right. You guys are at nine hundred. We've still got uh, billions that are unspent from the last one. So let's put that to good use. Let's figure out a way to compromise here. Let's get a Republican-Democrat deal on the table. We all know that uh, that's in, in the best interest of everybody. I just think that – I think like across the country people would say, okay, I can deal with that. I like that. I like that presidential leadership that he's showing instead of just sort of you know, really being buckling to, to – the, the left is I, I just don't see it politically as a great move for him. And that's what that's what Joe Manchin and these other folks are very sensitive to in their home constituencies. And, and the whole thing with the the XL pipeline, 15,000 jobs stopped the next day, 5,000 to 10,000 at the border the next day for a wall that's already made. You have to pay to get rid of this wall or to store it. It's unbelievable. What, what, and they know technology comes with it. He voted for 650 miles on the Wall Act in 2006. Right. But see, I'm thinking like you. I say when we can start doing what we do in sports, there's a trade. And people got to debate the trade. It was just a Rams uh, alliance trade. Oh, they shouldn't have given up that quarterback. They shouldn't have done this. There's too many picks. Okay. I'm not mad at you. I debated something. But when you say, I got everything, you took, uh, I gave nothing. Listen to Senator Chuck Schumer. This is going to get you upset, but I'm willing to risk our relationship. (laughs) Cut 27. Joe Biden is totally on board with using reconciliation. I've been talking to him every day. He told Senate Republicans that the $600 billion that they proposed was way too small. We share President Biden's desire to advance this legislation in a bipartisan way. But the work must move forward. We are not going to dilute, dither, or delay. Here's the deal. Somebody in this environment has to be bold. Somebody's got to step up and say, okay, we're going to give you a bit of what you want. We're going to take a bit of what we want. If you want to win back, I look at the suburban voters across America as as the real swing voters now. Donald Trump, President Trump lost a lot of them, and it's one of the reasons that he lost to Joe Biden because he picked up so many of those suburban voters. Those are the people who would respond really well to seeing somebody stand up and take leadership. But right now, President Biden's in a position where he keeps getting pulled by Schumer and Pelosi over to an intransigent position that I just don't think resonates with a lot of voters across this country who are very reasonable people, who know that they have to have give and take, who look at $4.5 trillion have already been spent on COVID relief. $4.5 trillion. We spent a little less than $1 trillion on the 2008 bailout. How much is too much? And why do we never hear anybody discuss any sort of fiscal responsibility ever? It doesn't come up on either side at this point. Yeah, I think well now the Republicans are bringing it up. And they're saying, why didn't you say that earlier? Uh, Rand Paul, to his credit, and I disagree with a lot of things. He does say that I all hear the you. time. No, I agree. And that's why when Schumer says, my objection is when the economy collapsed and Barack Obama took over, 
we regretted only getting $800 billion or $900 billion for the shovel-ready projects that never were shovel-ready. And he said that was a big mistake. But that, okay, if that was your mistake, you, got, you came into the game with $4.5 trillion. They told you you already have $1.8 trillion. You just got $900 billion one month ago. Which isn't spent yet. Which isn't spent yet, but I need $1.9 trillion. Who operates this way? I mean, who Nobody. operates this way? Then you also have to look at the backdrop, right? You've got vaccines very slowly, albeit making their way through the population here you know, you've got about a 25% decrease in COVID cases in 12 states across the country. So think the dynamic is starting to shift a little bit, right? So the focus should be on getting people back to school, back to work in your office, in your workplace, okay, for real. And opening up this country in a way that will start to get those wheels turning, and then you're not going to need all this stimulus. I know you got this huge business background, so you'll appreciate this. This Penn Wharton budget model, they did a, they ran a, a few studies about wh- who's getting this money if they got this whole $1.9 trillion. 73% of the funds would be provided to Americans under the Biden proposal, the 1400 stimulus, would be directed to household savings. So 70% of the people who got the money would put it into savings. And according to it, that's an analysis from the Penn Wharton School, the report estimates that 27% of the relief would go to increase consumption. That's not an emergency. No, it's so not. So you've got to target this stuff. So I don't want to be callous. Uh, and I know I would, if someone's mailing me $1,400, I take it. But what if I told you it's on overdraft and eventually someone's going to pay for it? Yeah. And it, it could, it's costing us for money we don't have by a long shot. It's $350 billion proposed to go to states and cities, uh, to local municipalities. Many of them can't Back manage their moment. money anyway. Thanks, Martha. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Half the country right now doesn't believe anything they hear on Fox. The other half doesn't believe anything they hear on CNN or MSNBC. Why? I was working at CNN back when that plane went missing and watched them discuss the likelihood that it went into a black hole for the better part of a month. It's no wonder we've lost faith in so many of our institutions, whether it's politics or whether it's Hollywood or medicine or or science, but it, it starts with the press. And if we can't trust more or less what we hear from the media, then we're not going to trust anything. That's why my book is called The Way I Heard It, not The Way It Was. I don't know the way it was, but everybody's going around right now saying this is what I heard and this is what I believe, and I don't believe it because I didn't hear it on this channel and so forth and so on. And Michael Rowe, who's more in touch with more everyday American workers than anybody else, got a great show. Uh, new series started, uh, Six Degrees on Discovery+. Plus. Martha McCallum is setting to host her show at 3 o'clock, uh, this story. But right now, we're lucky enough to have her back in studio. So how much hey, is going to – so, Martha, I know we pay you a lot of money to get you in studio. How much <laughs> is going to take to get Hammer back? We could have almost a reunion. Or are you sick of him? I'd love that. You do like no, Bill Hammer? No, now that I'm on at 3, um, we could absolutely do that. And if Hammer ducks great. me, is it personal? That has to be personal, um, right? Yeah, it he, would be personal. Yeah, because so he's I, off I at think 11. we're going to hold him to that. Right. So we, we should definitely do a reunion. Right, but of course we can't have too many people in the room because that would violate We'll all, spread out. I'll sit in that corner. All doctrines. You know what I said to somebody? He's like, remember like when you, the whole wearing masks, which I'm, I'm fine with. I don't mind wearing my mask, right? right? But I would love to see a study done of, of, you know, before everyone wore masks and after everyone started wearing masks. It doesn't seem like it makes a difference in terms of how many people are getting it. Right. 
You know what? Um, I think we're going to find that out, Purely too. Purely anecdotal, you know, but I, I'm just curious what the answer to that is. I couldn't help but take the soundbite of Anthony Fauci on ABC uh, last April April saying you can wear a mask. It might stop a few droplets, but it really does no difference. It gives you a full sense of security, so you're probably better off not watching it, wearing a mask, because people think that they're not going to get it by wearing it. That was Anthony Fauci. He's done that for what? He's done this job for 70 years, 60 years. So I understand if Martha McCallum and Brian Kilmeade don't understand right. the mask technology. Kind of curious about it, right? Now he says you, have to, you should wear two, maybe three. Right, but I'm not saying that. <laughs> Layer them. I'm saying yeah. But he's 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 the biggest fraud in America by far. Total fraud. I just think he's he's like you know he his area right. He's he's infectious disease and vaccines. It's he's looking at it from a perspective that isn't based on the larger picture of public health and the country versus you know I have to say Brian I watched your interview this morning with that father. Who lost his son? Yeah, let's talk about this. To suicide. And um, it, I, I thought it was so heartbreaking. I give that father so much credit. He had so much strength. Jan- in January. He had he so died. much strength to come on and talk to you about it. I, I can't even imagine uh, where I would be if I w- were in his shoes today. And I you know, I pray for him and for his family. But when he said, and I may have this wrong. so you Should I play correct- a little bit? And yeah, then please, we'll have you get- Okay. So his name is uh, Chris Buckner. His son was Dylan. 18-year-old quarterback, 14 offers to play Division Three quarterback in yeah. college, uh, and he's an honor student. And when this started happening, he just started losing it, and he tried to commit suicide once, and he, sadly he was successful three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And his dad just locked in on it and says, I'm going to tell people you got to open up, and I'm going to tell their parents they got to start looking in on their kids. Don't think they're taking it in stride because they aren't. Cut 36. There's no doubt in our minds that um – the stress he was feeling as a result of school closures, not being able to be with his friends, not getting to play football, uh, absolutely contributed to his death. In March, when the um, pandemic hit, there was talk about flattening the curve of COVID-19 deaths. But, um, you know, I wanted to come on today to talk about uh, the need to flatten the curve of, uh, of uh, suicide deaths in uh, today's teens because, you uh, you know, I really think it's um, it's a crisis. And when he just locked in, he goes, I'm going to try to make something positive of it. But you could tell it is so new that he hasn't even processed it. And you don't know how you're going to go through it. But you have a kid that's hitting it out of the park every day. You don't have a kid you're pulling out of juvenile detention. Mm-hmm. You don't have a kid that's hanging out with gangs and cutting school. You have a kid that is is the emblem. He's probably the star in his town in Chicago. Yeah. To be starting quarterback in a Chicago city school? you got to be kidding me. And absent these circumstances, it's hard to imagine that he would have ever gotten to the point where he did, right? So you have to ask yourself about the devastating impact on young people's lives from all of this. You know, I think we all try to just keep forging ahead every day, right? No, the kid's okay. Everybody's okay. It's okay. It's been a weird year. Um, We're almost at the end of it. We hope and pray. But he's so right. You have to pay attention to what's going on with these kids. And there's been so little discussion of it in terms of the top line news coverage of of covid you think about the fact that you you see the deaths right on on the right hand side of the screen on networks across the country every day cases cases deaths deaths and and yes it's been an enormous story it, it, it's you know been a, a plague like we haven't really seen since 1918 but it ranks actually eighth in the list of virus deaths in the history of the country right so it's, it's i didn't eight. know that that's a stat i never eight, heard it's eight out of the top 10 is COVID 19 so in terms of, of fatality and deaths so 
this the other thing that really caught my attention he said and i believe this is right he, um he said chris buckner said that in his county there were 30 suicide deaths of people un, under uh, the age of 21 i believe yeah. and five covid deaths is that right yeah exactly let's let you man good memory here's it cut 37 where i live uh there have been 30 suicides of kids 18 and under uh, since last March when the pandemic hit, and there have only been five COVID-related deaths in that same age group over that same time period. And, you know, it's 99.6% chance you're going to survive if you get it. And some people aren't even going to know they have it. And they've got this thing called testing, and there's just no excuse for it. What, what do you say to that? And when the Catholic schools are playing, yeah. one month ago, I interviewed two people from St. Anthony's on Long Island. They've won the championship. They went yeah. through the entire year, 30 weeks, no hesitation. They did the same thing. Yep. They, de- they, they spread out in locker rooms. They took shifts in locker rooms. They told people they're going to practice in the morning to deconflict when they normally didn't have to. Everyone did it because in sports, you're supposed to learn to adapt right. and adjust, not complain. It's yeah. part of the learning process. And that's the message, right? I mean, this country has been through so much in its history, but the, the key is to is to embrace the situation and figure out how to live your life with it, not to separate and stop living your life while it's going on. St. Anthony's is a great school in Long Island. This is National Catholic Schools Week, by the way. They have had an extraordinary... I mean, you know, they've proven that you can do this. So they have tons of kids enrolling in these Catholic schools across the country who, many of whom aren't Catholic, they just want to get a, a good, solid education and they want to learn how to be resilient in the face of this, not to, not to be stuck at home. A couple of things. Governor Cuomo is finally getting the scrutiny he hasn't gotten, not to the degree he even deserves to get. But you have nine health officials who have quit it because of his autocratic yeah. ways. He's making up policies, ripping up programs like the pandemic program put in place since 9-11 because we expected to get hit by a bioterror attack. How do we act? He doesn't mm-hmm. uh, consult with them. He berates them. And now you have this situation with the nursing homes well chronicled where he still will not be honest and admit this was a huge error. It wasn't a federal error. It wasn't a CDC error. It was an Andrew Cuomo error. And now he has said about he's he's changed his mind a million times. So when it comes to shutting down restaurants in Manhattan, he just shut them down. It makes no sense. He leaves you outside in a submarine with slow ceilings with the door closed. And heat lamps, and he thinks we're safer, or he hasn't put the time in, rolled up his sleeves, walked around, and saw where the plexiglass is, saw how clean the kitchens are, and let him adjust like they have around the country. Then two days ago, he comes out when asked and said, do you think restaurant workers should get vaccines? He goes, stop with the pandering questions. Restaurants are not a priority. And then he says this, cut 33. They're getting more vaccine. Uh, If a local health department, county government, wants to add to their one, what's called 1B, prioritization. If they want to add uh, developmentally disabled facilities, if they want to add taxi drivers, Uber drivers, uh, restaurant workers, they can do that if they think it works within their prioritization locally. Mocking two days ago, front and center now. First of all, on the, on the nursing home issue and on the leadership issue, there were areas where he did a good job. There are areas where he fell down so dramatically. We need people need to have humility 
enough humility to admit when you have made an error. And that's something that's sorely missing in our whole society is the element of humility of saying, look, you know what? I made a mistake. Leaders used to have this, this ability. They seem to have completely lost it. No one wants to take any blame yep. for anything yep. across the entire country. Um, and with regard to the 1B1A, does that make your head hurt? The bureaucracy absolutely. involved in this is absolutely the appalling. These leaders should be saying, okay, we're setting up tents all across the country. Right? Every state has like 10 tents, right? It, get in line. If you're willing to wait six hours, we're, we'll get you vaccinated. Just get online, show your license, show your ID, and we're going to record in the system that you got your shot, and that's it. All of these, like this group, then this group, then that group, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. If you make everybody line up, right, at a tent, a stadium, whatever it is, and you have a line for people over 65, right? So you, get, you do them first. Then at the end of the day, if you've got shots left, then people who are willing to wait online for them, they get to go next. It, it's not that hard. I, I hear you. Uh, I agree with you. And also what Israel did, they said, line up. If right. we don't call you category, if we have extra shots, we're giving them to you. Exactly. And that's what they did. But they were so afraid of Cuomo, they were throwing out the shots because they were afraid what of giving tragedy. it to somebody, a nurse or, or somebody, an orderly that didn't qualify. Getting in trouble. Who cares? Right. And this Every one, person who gets vaccinated makes everyone else safer. So I had one great guest that I don't think anybody has had on the channel in a long time, but I think you can totally relate to. Tony Robbins came on, and he talked about this pandemic because his whole business, he's got 76 businesses, but one of his businesses speaking was brought, you know, it stopped. So here's what he said. The biggest challenge we're facing as a country is the way we respond to that one four-letter word, risk. You know, this country was built by people who understood they had to put their life on the line to make things great. Whether it be people that went to war, whether people that crossed to the West, I mean, this is this is anybody who's an entrepreneur. You got to take risks today. Somehow, we're trying to avoid any form of risk whatsoever, and there, that means no life. And I think that's the single largest issue we've got to deal with. I think you can relate to that. I couldn't agree more. And I have to say this about President Trump. You know, for whatever, that was his guiding principle, essentially. He wanted us to keep surging forward, keep moving forward. He didn't want us to be afraid of this situation. He wanted us to act out of, uh, you know, the strength to go on during difficult times. Now, you know, you can say whatever you want about the handling it. It wasn't perfect. There are things you certainly could have improved upon. But that is something that is really missing in the country today. And you know where it worries me the most is with young people who are afraid to leave their homes. Right? These are young, healthy people. Now, I'm not talking about someone who has a severe asthma situation or someone who clearly, if they got this, would be compromised. That's different. I'm talking about regular folks. We are training a generation of young people to be afraid. Timid. This is not good. Right. Now, uh, Martha, when we come back, we're going to find there's more to know and find out exclusively who's on your show. Is that true? Sounds good. Did you tell anybody even in the hall who's on the show? (laughs) Is this just for our show? It will be exclusive to you. Fantastic. This is our first exclusive of the day. All right. Back in a moment. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. On that issue, pollution, I understand that you came here with a private jet. Uh, Is that an environmental way to travel? If you offset your carbon... It's the only choice for somebody like me. Right. Uh, that is John Kerry in 2019 on, hey, why are you talking green energy oh while my. flying in a private jet? Martha McCallum's here. Martha, you should use this soundbite should be everywhere. 
I mean, this is unbelievable that oh, he's telling if us. Oh, you offset it. How, do, I, how exactly does he offset that jet? I'm not sure. I'm just curious. I'd money. like to see the, I guess the, the flow chart on that. Yeah. Um, first, before we get to more to know, who's going to be your show tonight? Because I have an exclusive. This is my exclusive. So we're going to talk to Alex Berenson tonight. on uh, Today. Uh, today on COVID at 3 o'clock. Thanks. I'm still getting used to it. Um, Andy Goh, who wrote a, the book Unmasked. Awesome. Uh, he infiltrated Antifa, and it's a fascinating story. So we're going to get into that with him and also talk about um, what we've watched today at the White House, at, on Capitol Hill, um, the services for um, for Officer Sicknick as well. All right. So that, you sure? Uh, and then do you- Kim Clay Basic is with us as well tonight. Do you have a band? A band. Or anything? Any musical guests? Uh, no, no musical guests tonight. I wonder why. why <laughs> hey, let's find out if, if Martha needs to know more. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. All right, here we go. President Biden will sit down, as traditional have it, and talk with Nora O'Donnell at halftime on CBS. That's where the Chiefs will play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the finals of football, Super Bowl 55. So she could she could be a tough a question. Absolutely. You think this might be interesting? Yeah, I expect she will be. Yeah, it could be interesting. All right. Uh, I think, uh, Allison, you want to weigh in? You like her, right? You know what I hope, I hope she's at? I hope she asks him. I hope she asks him about opening schools and... If 100 days is too long. 100 days is basically until summer. So that that would be too long. That brings it back in April. <laughs> I would say you killed 15,000 jobs. Was it trouble sleeping? There you Any go. There's another excellent question. You like her, right, Allison? I do. I don't watch her as much anymore since she, like, moved to the overnight. But it should be good. She interviewed him on 60 Minutes, so. No, and she, uh, pressed, him on, yeah. she pressed him. Absolutely. No, Nora will do a good job. All right, next. Facebook unveiled a strategy aimed at encouraging iPad and iPad users to allow online tracking. The move follows Apple's decision to require developers to obtain iPhone and iPad users' consent before tracking them with identifying advertisers and things like that. What the Is that necessary? Please I mean, let forget. me track you. What are you going to do with this information? It, it, what, are you kidding me? We're already so tracked. I, I, I don't even know how you could ever untrack anybody who walks around with any of these devices like we do. Amazon next. Amazon founder and CEO Jeff Bezos announced he is stepping down uh, at running up uh, Amazon, obviously. What a great story that is. He used to be a humble guy. He's not the same guy anymore. He put on muscle. He changed wives. Changed wives, right. exactly. I mean, I, congratulations on the innovations. But it was just, he used to just sell books. Yeah, no, he, he's sort of, you know, become sort of a classic. He's almost like a movie character, right? Um, right. The guy who, he runs the everything store, as somebody put it today. And it's it's true. He's in a part of every bit of our lives and owns the Washington Post. He's going to take people to space. Um, he's like a Howard Hughesian kind of character at this point. Right, probably more stable. Uh, more stable. And he's not going to let his nails grow. Uh, Earth Fund and the <laughs> That blue- was just in the final. Years. Oh, it was? Okay, I got to throw on more for them. Uh, Allison, Eric wanted us to move on because that's the swish was in my ear. I apologize. Fox News Channel, this is controversial, marked its 19th year as the number one cable news work in total day and prime time. Uh, we're at number one, MSNBC, number two, CNN, HGTV, history, and uh, and then the total day, it's MSNBC, Fox News, CNN, um, since January 25th. How do you feel about that? I feel great about it. I've been right. here for 17 of those 19 years. How about you? I feel great about it. I don't think we had a great month, but we already are coming back. We're already coming back. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're already we're winning again in the morning. We won for the last two days. Allison, you like the other channels. Is that true? I don't <laughs> like the other channels. I just feel like this can be a more well-rounded show when I bring in the 
crazy things that are said on other channels. There oh, we go. Okay, that's good. Uh, Denzel Washington has the utmost respect for police officers. Do we have a chance to hear that? I have the utmost respect for what they do, for what our soldiers do, that, that sacrifice their lives. And I, I just don't care for people that uh, put those kinds of people down. All right, and that's it. Cooler than Denzel Washington. And he's the best actor in the country. He's the best actor in the country. Uh, The name of his movie is The Little Things, and he actually used to ride around with the police chief of Detroit. That's right. Uh, And now he is, uh, the police chief still remembers him. Martha, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. Great to be with you. We can do this regularly? Absolutely. Because we come to work. We come to work. Thanks so much for listening. Watch Martha 3. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.